Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, where each week we discuss new ideas and tactics to help you succeed in business, relationships, and life. And now your host, Tim Stoddard. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddard. Welcome to the Tim Stodds Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. It is early Monday morning, June 1st. The episode that you're about to listen to was a recording and a conversation I had with an amazing guest, Amanda Getz. This episode was recorded on Friday, late afternoon, on Friday, May 22nd. And since then, we've seen a lot happen in our country. I told myself when I just hit record before I I started recording this intro that I wasn't going to think too much about what I wanted to say and I wasn't going to go back and edit it. I was just going to take a minute to speak from the heart because I feel like it would be distasteful to release another podcast interview and talk about (laughs) all the exciting things about life and business and not address some of the terrible racial inequalities that are going on that have been going on for generations and have ultimately reached a pit point to where we're seeing this rage and this heartbreak spill over on our streets. Man, I I don't know what to do yet. I know that I have to do something. I know that I have to get involved. I feel scared and stressed and and frustrated and all the feelings that I think a lot of us are feeling. I also feel really confused and just sad. I wish I watched the video of George Floyd get murdered and part of me wishes that I never watched it because it was just the most horrific thing I've ever seen in my life. And for three days, I would just be sitting around and feel myself welling up and start crying over how terrible of a thing that was. And, you know, my wife and I had like a legitimate conversation on whether she should even watch it or not. Because part of me thinks that this is something that you need to see. You need to see the realities. But then the other half of me is like wanting to shield people from having that image in their mind for the rest of their lives. Because I'll never forget it. I'll never forget watching that. It was, it was awful. It was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. And if anybody can watch that video and somehow rationalize or justify or come up with an excuse as to how that's acceptable then you're part of the problem and we got to get you out of here. In this episode, in this interview with Amanda, we spent a lot of time talking about inclusivity in the workforce. And she talked about the importance of just giving people space to speak and to express themselves. I've been thinking about that all morning because what a poignant message right now. We're not going to solve this entire crisis in a day or maybe even a year or five years or maybe even a decade. I don't I don't know. None of us know what's going to happen. But there's two things that I know that I need to do. One is I know that I need to get involved at the at the ground level, at the roots level. And two, I know that I got to do a better job of giving people space to speak. So that is my message on this intro of the podcast. I really, really hope that you take the time to listen to this conversation. I found Amanda to be just one of the most inspiring, insightful, straightforward, well-spoken, charming, 
and motivating guests I've had on the podcast. And her message that you're going to hear in this episode about giving people space to speak is such a good starting point for me and for anybody else listening to this that's looking around asking themselves like, what do I do? I think that's a great place to start. So thank you for listening to this long-winded intro. If there's anything I can do to be of service to anybody listening to this that's feeling frustrated, please let me know. You guys know how you can reach out to me. And with all of that, thank you, Amanda, for coming on my show, for teaching me this subtle yet important lesson. And to everybody listening, please help me welcome Amanda Getz. Um, All right, well, you ready to do this? Yeah, let's do it. Great. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me on my show. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. I'm so excited to be here, Tim. Thank you. Yeah. uh, Well, we talked a little bit before we started recording. I've been following you on Twitter for some time, and I was introduced to you through Helen. And uh, your your arc as a businesswoman, as an entrepreneur, as a, uh, a successful marketer, has been a real journey. And so in this podcast, what I'm hoping to accomplish is just go through this amazing journey that you've been in and, and give some of the insights that you've learned through your experiences. So, so with that being said, how did, like, let's start at the beginning. How did this turn into a career for you? Where did you catch this marketing buzz? Yeah, so I started my career in Chicago. I was working for Ernst & Young. And my first job out of school was managing their Entrepreneur of the Year program, which is kind of Ernst & Young's flagship marketing program, right? They highlight entrepreneurs. And for, for EY, it's obviously um, a pipeline to IPO and being their um, accountant on record. But for me, I got to, at a very young age, go and listen to founders of companies like Ulta Beauty um, and just hear their passion for why they were starting the business, what troubles that they were going through. And I felt kind of a part of their journey. And that was, I think, where the seed of entrepreneurship started. And even to back it up, my dad, so I come from a very small town in Illinois, um, 800 people in the middle of you know nowhere farmland. My high school class was like 38 people or something. Wow. Yeah, and so neither of my parents went to college. They got married at ages 18 and 19, and my dad started his own plumbing business. And so seeing him kind of get to be his own boss and never miss anything, uh, that was my a part of my life. He was my baseball coach. He was my basketball coach. So I think it was probably ingrained in me that I like having control over my life. <laughs> And that, and my dad didn't, you know, give up anything that he wanted to do. Like if he wanted to go golfing on a Thursday because he was stressed out from the week, he did that. And he really set a good tone of work-life balance for me. And I, I have to say, like, I'm pretty sure that's where like everything comes from for me. But yeah, and so after school, I was doing that Entrepreneur of the Year program, managing a couple of the states around Chicago. And my family at the time, I was married at the time, we moved to New York. And Ernst & Young didn't really have like a great place for me when I moved to New York. And so that kind of forced me to rethink what I wanted to do. And I found this really, really small 
wedding company that needed a brand manager. And it was a celebrity wedding planner. So half of my job, I had to plan celebrity weddings, which can be a whole other conversation. But the other half was managing his brand. So licensing deals, he had a TV show, um, just how do you maintain brand consistency across all these different product and service lines? So that was kind of uh, really where I started to think about omni-channel marketing, how to create brand consistency, what's the narrative behind things. And after doing that for many years, I got the bug to just start a company. I met my co-founder. We were on a nonprofit board together and um, Nate approached me one day and was like, hey, the wedding space is just like heating up. This was back in 2011 and 12, which is right around the time New York City tech scene was really getting going. Like there were all the accelerators were really taking off. Um, you really started to see a lot, lot more meetups, et cetera. So I was like, yeah, you know what? Of all the time in my life I could do this, now's the time. Yeah. I, I happened to also be pregnant at the time with my first child. So I was like, you know what? I, I think I, I just had that like growing up with my dad, having his work-life balance and being able to do that. I had this vision for my life where I could have it all, which I hate that phrase because you can't. Um, and I learned that the hard way. But um but yeah, so I, I ended up launching my company. I built it while I was in the final trimester. Um, and a couple months after we launched beta, when I had an infant, I remember being at a conference, like breastfeeding in between, like doing pitches and trying to get funding. Um, and so I launched the company, did it for about, gosh, I think it was about two and a half years. And I can share more about that. but. Um, it was not going so well, learned a lot. I was running out of funding and I was at a female pitch night one night and it happened to be at the Knott's headquarters. And my startup was in the wedding industry. We were trying to solve the problem of availability, how you have to constantly as a wedding planner ask, are you available to like 20 different vendors just to get five of them for your client. So just syncing up people and making that process faster. So that was the company. And so back to this female pitch night, I'm at the knot and the founder of the knot was on the panel and she had been actually a mentor of mine for about eight years. I had interviewed for the knot when I first moved to New York back in 2009 and interviewed with Carly Roney. And so the, the job ended up not being a great fit for me at the time. But I made it a point, she was so influential to me, just like a mom who built this brand that everyone knows, and she had you know, her kids while building it, and she was just a force. And I was just so drawn to her. And so I made it a point to keep her in my life. Like every six months to a year, mm. she would take a coffee meeting with me, we'd stay in touch. And so it came full circle this night at the Knott's headquarters pitching. And so she came up to me afterwards. She's like, let's grab coffee tomorrow. And so the next day I go into her office and she's like, how's it really going? <laughs> and I like broke down in tears and I was like, it's not going well. Like I, I'm running out of funding. I couldn't raise capital. 
Um, my co-founder was, you know, building another company on the side. So like he wasn't fully, you know, a hundred percent focused with me and it, there were a lot of things. And so she's like, well, when you're ready, I have a position for you. And so that was five years ago and I've been at the knot ever since. And it's been an incredible opportunity because the knot when I joined was still in its um, kind of origin state and I got to really take it to its new evolution of the, through a rebrand with Pentagram and really making sure that it maintains its brand relevancy for the next generation of couples that are going to get married. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the high level arc. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for, for sharing your journey. And I was going to wait until a little bit afterwards, but I think now is the perfect time to make this detour. Uh, <laughs> you're, you've always been a very transparent person, whether mm -hmm. that is within uh, just sharing your journey, some of your experiences with, with motherhood and some of the struggles that you had there. Mm -hmm. I, I, I always relate to people with that kind of outlook. I, I've been pretty vocal in a lot of my struggles with addiction and with recovery. I've been in recovery for almost 10 years and it's, 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 it's created this, um, this group of people in my life that I've met either online or I've met through strange avenues in my life that I never would have met and never would have had these relationships with unless I was just willing to be vulnerable and share mm -hmm. with other people um, you know, in my case, it was other people that were struggling with, with addiction. I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think from reading your work, in your case, it was probably other women and other women entrepreneurs and other mothers. Uh, so my, my question, I know that was kind of a long, a long lead way, but my question is that, that choice that you make to share so much of your story and to be personal and to be vulnerable, um, is that something that you do on purpose or is that something that you feel is a way for you to just express yourself and, and make new rela relationships and, and connect with other people? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. That That's beautiful that you're also transparent and congratulations on your recovery. And, and I'm sure you've helped many people along the way by being vulnerable. So Thanks. yeah, I, I have to just say it's just who I am. Like I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm a very transparent person. Um, as I got older, so I think the first time this became a re like a thing that it was more conscious than subconscious was when I went through a struggle with fertility. And I had to use fertility treatments to get pregnant with my first daughter. And I remember growing up in the Midwest and, you know, a lot of very religious, you know, upbringings, et cetera. And I remember feeling shame in that. Um, and I had to do a lot of work to understand where that was coming from. And I made a conscious decision to talk openly because I logically and rationally could tell myself, this is not a shameful thing. I cannot help what's happening in my body. And I started openly sharing about a miscarriage and fertility treatments. And what started happening was I was connecting with people on a deeper level than I had ever connected. I had friends that had been like 
I guess, surface level friends, the fact that I didn't know they had gone through these things. Um, and until I actually, I was the first to share this. And then they said, oh, you know what? I, we went through a miscarriage a year ago. And I was shocked that I didn't know that about my friends. And so all of a sudden it became conscious to me that I had been living a more surface level life than I thought I had. And that to me is just not how I want to live my life. Like I want to go deep with someone. I want to understand like what makes you tick, what motivates you, and also like what your challenges are and what, what you're struggling with. So that way I can be helpful um, or just be a support system for you. And so I, I, I mean, I only joined Twitter like a year ago and at first was just sharing like just about my life in general. But the more and more I shared on the vulnerable side of, you know, navigating a divorce or starting another company and how hard that is as a mom, the more my DMs became meaningful and the more I started connecting with women in this like very authentic real way. And to take it up to like the 30,000 foot view as a marketer, I think that truly understanding like how to connect with people and being authentic to whoever you are is so vital. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that is a very long winded answer to say it is ingrained in who I am just as a person, but I have made it more conscious because of those kind of um, parts of my journey. I love how you brought it into the 30,000 foot view as well, because I think there's a strange lesson there, which I'm not exactly sure what it takes for me to learn this lesson. But as a marketer, like you said, um, I would probably consider myself by trade as an SEO. I own an SEO agency and it's, it's the majority of how, you know, quote, as a marketer, I've had the success that I've had. However, every once in a while, I make this brave decision to stop thinking about it so seriously and to create something that I know will resonate with myself on a personal level and I feel will resonate with other people on a personal level. And when I share those parts of, of myself or my journey or some fears maybe or even like some things that I'm, I'm proud of myself with that, you know, for some reason we don't like to say when, when we have accomplishments, uh, in almost the same respect that it, it could from like a technical marketing standpoint, when I get out of my own way and I just do some real shit, you know, like mm-hmm. it seems to have the same, the same results. So it's, there's this double lesson there in terms of the value of being your real self, right? Like, yes, it feels good to relate to people. It feels good to help other people, but also from a pragmatic standpoint with mm-hmm. where I'm going in my life, it, it only helps me in that avenue as well. And, uh, and I, I can't quite figure out like when I'm just going to get out of my own way completely and learn that <laughs> lesson, you know, but I'm, I'm working on it. I think that that's the human experience. Like we're, we're constantly working on that. But yeah, I think you make a really good point about that, like the balance of the SEO performance driven marketing and then that brand narrative. And I've seen so many companies like lean so heavily on the SEO part, which does help with uh, traffic and getting eyeballs. But when it comes to conversion and that LTV or retention part, 
if you don't have a point of view or you don't have an emotional response or you haven't created a narrative that is this through line through all your content, you're creating a really hard second part of your job, Mm -hmm. right? You've created this like other mountain you have to climb. Whereas when I see it work really well is when SEO teams and brand marketers work together to make sure that, yes, you're, you're looking at um, search volume and you're hitting the right articles, but you also understand what the brand promises and what you want someone to feel when they're engaging with it so that you don't have to do extra work on one side or the other. And this is a perfect segue because um, for, for the most part, people follow my podcast who are interested in either being entrepreneurs or are interested in being better employees and, and better marketers. And for somebody with as much experience as you have, especially in a space, um, a lot of people may not realize this, but the wedding space online is like one of the top 10 most competitive spaces that there are. If you look at it, maybe strictly from like a, a cost per quick, uh, a cost per click standpoint, which is a pretty good metric. Um, what, what in the lessons that you've learned through your five years of being VP of marketing at the knot, what, what are some of like the, the more, again, like you said, the 30,000 foot baseline lessons that you would share with somebody who's looking to get started with their own creative endeavors? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Let me think. One thing I find myself saying is, um, across like all the different teams, both performance and brand is that, you know, front door is the cheapest. If we can acquire somebody through the front door, meaning like downloading the app because they have high brand recall and they already know what we stand for when they come and we've actually informed their intent through before they even get engaged and, pre-engaged is you know a funny term that we say because it's like they're pre-engaged for our product but they're pre-engaged in life as well um but that front door acquisition meaning you were high um brand recall they they typed you in they came in and then you you support that journey with the performance marketing right so you you're top of mind when they go to search for you but they already came in through the front door so to me Um, how do you make your brand top of mind prior to purchase intent is so important. And on the flip side, um, I know massive companies that think about digital marketing as, you know, what's the big campaign and how do we slap social on it, for example. And what I've found over the years is I have to get out of the way of the experts in the channel. Because when you try to create campaigns and then say words like, how do we make this PRable? Or how do we make this work on social? Chances are you're too far down the rabbit hole. Mm. And you're going to find yourself going, eh, let's slap a hashtag on it and call it a day. Or we know this won't work, but it'll be fine. You know, it's not going to be bad. So what I've really forced myself to think through is starting with a goal in mind and then letting the experts tell us. And so, for example, if, if our goal for something is, you know, we need to hit PR impressions, 
rather than coming up with a campaign and then going to the PR team, we start with our PR experts in the house and we really sit down and say, what, what's happening in the news cycle? What are you seeing from inbound inquiries? What, what are they talking about? And, you know, is it about news hacking? Is it about, you know, jumping on a, a trend? Like really sitting down and kind of getting to your point, like this could be the theme, getting out of your own way of having this like end in mind. And so I would encourage somebody when, as they continue to grow in their career, it becomes this kind of like self-fulfilling prophecy of like, I want to create the big campaign and I want to be the one that like comes up with it and tells everybody what to do. Nine times out of 10, that will fail. Um, and so the, the brightest marketers are the ones who bring all the experts into the room and start with a clean slate. And for me, it's all about setting clear goals for my team. And if once they know the goal, they know how to create a strategy to meet it. So I think that's a big one for me. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. I think, especially with marketers and with, uh, you know, quote, personal brand experts, right? There's this weird, uh, I don't even know how I would quantify it. There's this weird culture within our people that you're, you just know everything. You have all the answers. You're, you're like, you're like one with the, yeah. end, right. And uh, I think that's ridiculous. And two, it's also just not accurate. And much like you, I had to learn this lesson the hard way just through miserable, miserable failures. But um, in one of my current positions, I always think that my job is to find people that are smarter than me and put them around me so that I don't have to be this hive mind brainchild. Like I can quite literally just connect the dots so that my, my job, like you said, is to come up with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. And I have a business coach who, who talks about this all the time because I always uh, get veered away from it. But she said, what's, what's your outcome? Right? Like what is the ultimate outcome that you want here? And as soon as I look at it there, you can work backwards and you can find this person can answer that question. This person can answer that question you know, maybe this idea that I had actually isn't in line with where I wanted to go in the first place. Mm -hmm. And when I look at it from that standpoint, it, it all makes sense. And it takes the ego out of it, right? Because I don't have to be the one who came up with this brilliant idea. I can just be the one that put the right people together. Yeah, I think that the ego thing is something that's really hard for people as they advance their career. Because when you're doing the work, um, you get the attention, right? Like you get to present your social strategy, you get to present. And my job now is making sure that my team gets attention for what work that they're doing and to remove their obstacles and be the one praising them. And I find that there's that middle management piece that you have to, and really senior leaders and organizations have to remember middle management and how to praise them as much as they're praising kind of the younger people because um, a, a need for attention has gotten this really negative connotation. Yeah. Um, and when you do like a personal needs assessment, we do something with our, our first team, our leadership team, where we do the personal needs assessment, right? And some people have a high need for results and they derive like satisfaction from hitting a goal, you know? Some people derive um, satisfaction from being 
feeling seen and that's like a need for attention. And a lot more people than you think have a high need for attention. And we don't say it because it feels like you have an ego, but it can be as small as like just using someone's name in a meeting. Like if I know that someone on my team has a high need for attention, just being like, Hey, you know, Susie, thank you so much for putting this together. Like everyone, I know Susie spent a lot of time on this and I want to just call out, um, this is really going to help us take, take this to the next level or something like that. Now I did that because I know Susie has a high, higher need for attention. That's how she derives satisfaction in her work. And so that whole, I think that there's a very interesting, um, thing around ego versus a need for attention and balancing those two things is so important as a leader. I never thought of it that way, but I, I just had this really funny example, which is, is kind of proof positive. Um, my sister is a personal trainer and you know, you and I were, were talking before we were recording and fitness is like a big part of both of our lives. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but my workouts now, my group workouts, I have to do through Zoom and my sister runs these classes. And even though she's my little sister, God, I can't believe I'm even going to say this on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know that she thinks I'm cool because I'm her big brother. But uh, there's 20 of us in the workout and we're all working hard and she starts calling out people's names, right? Like, yeah, you're doing it. Good job, Jan or good job, John or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, please say my name. Please say my name. Yeah. And, you know, it just says, good job, Tim. And she says my name. And I felt this, I don't know, like this rush of like, oh my gosh, I got acknowledged. I can work a little bit harder. And so like, I never quite thought of it in the sense of separating um, like the, the, a, a personal needs assessment, how you said, with detaching that from ego. And mm-hmm. There's some some gray area in between, but I, I do hear what you're saying. Like they are different. I got some kind of rush of acknowledgement just because, or I got some kind of rush of uh, exuberance just because I was acknowledged. Yeah, gosh, I, I'm the same way. And I literally was just taking a workout class. And every time the guy said my name, I like went 10 times harder. And, and you have to think about, I mean, not everyone is like you and I, and that's okay. But as a leader, your job is understanding what gives somebody that rush and making sure that you're giving them that because it's not ego for that. Ego is very different. Ego is not collaborating, um, you know, not actually uh, including people that should be included because you want all the spotlight. Mm. It's not necessarily about that. This is truly just what drives you. I really love that. Um, Great insight. Uh, okay, so let's, uh, let's come out the tail end of this thing with your new project. Um, we were talking on Twitter, and I know that you are starting a new company. And also, on that same note, you were so willing to acknowledge that your first startup failed, which I think is really brave. But out of everything that you have going on, being VP at such a major company, you talk about having three kids, you talk about your hobbies, like why on earth would you want to create another startup right now? Like what, what is the catalyst behind that? <laughs> I have this, uh, just, just the view on life that like life is, you get one shot and it's all a game. Like we all, you know, you learn, you fail, you do stuff. And I just love doing things like I love taking big swings because I 
expect a lot from myself and I, I believe I have the capacity to do it. And I'm, I'm of the mindset that I am so incredibly grateful for all that I have in my life, despite all the hardships that I've been through. Sure. I um, am so thankful for what I have gone through and um, I love building and it goes back to that kind of like inner drive to be my own boss, build a company, hire people around me. And I, I'm so fortunate to work for a company where I could openly say to my boss, like, hey, in my you know, nights and weekends, I just want you to know I'm doing this. And she's so supportive and, and knows that that fulfills something inside of me that um, typically at a really big company, you, you can't get fulfilled. Yeah. So um, there is, it, it had to be the right thing. And I definitely will be excited to share more when, when we launch, but it needed, I, I spent a lot of time soul searching to make sure that I, I can only work on things that I truly feel passionate about or that they affected me. And so whether it's, you know, working in the wedding space, having, having been a wedding planner and facing the problems and knowing what couples experience on a day-to-day basis and the hardships of like the struggles and stressors of planning a wedding through to just um, even just like what I do on Twitter and, and trying to connect with women authentically. And my new company is obviously geared towards women and, and helping them. So uh, yeah, I, I just why not, I guess is always my question. Like, why wouldn't I do this now? And I can't think of enough um, excuses that aren't just excuses. Like, um, I, I, I very much think that time is a construct. Like, I am the, I am, I can speak for hours about how to be efficient and focus on high impact things. And I think, um, yeah, it just like, this is the stuff that gives me energy. And it, it opens doors for me to meet really cool people. When you build something, you get to speak with really smart people. And I think that it just continues to, to force me to grow, which I have a high need for um, growth. So uh, I feel, again, when you're starting a company, I feel like the dumbest person in the room constantly. And I love that feeling because that means I have so much further to go. I'm going to touch on Maybe a delicate subject, but I think it's probably appropriate here. Mm-hmm. Um, when I reached out to Helen, um, basically what I said is I'm having trouble finding women that are willing to come on the show and talk about their projects. And a lot of the stuff that you talk about and even in this podcast, you seem uh, at least willing to, to be an advocate, let's say, for, for women in, in the workplace. Is that part of of your mission? Is it, is it bigger than just what you're trying to do with your personal accomplishments? Are you trying to set um, a bit of a, a roadmap? Because I know that there's a lot of other women that look at you and they think to themselves, she's doing it. Like, why can't I do it? Is, is that what you're going for? Is that a, an ambition of yours? I don't know if I intentionally set myself to try to be a role model because I believe that everyone's journey is so unique to their own. Um, I think there are some things I've learned about just like shame and guilt that I truly 
uh, don't want other women to feel. And I believe that just using my voice to share how hard that is and um, why it's not okay. And, and maybe even some context as to why we do feel those things. Um, like even sharing recently uh, on this like big zoom call, how it's still hard for me after like 15 years of being in professional service industry, et cetera, to go into a room full of men and create space for myself. And I am an extrovert. I am like, I have no problem voicing like a thought or an opinion unless I am the only female in the room. And I struggle with that. I become very submissive and I do not, I continue to like understand the cultural trends of that and why it is. And I have to continue to acknowledge it. But I also want people to see that if you're starting in your career and you feel that, that there are still women who are ahead of you experiencing that too. And part of it is just collectively acknowledging it because most men don't even realize that women still feel that way. And so when someone says that out loud, it's kind of this like awareness um, buzzer, so to speak, that a, a man would be like, oh, okay, next time I'm in a room full of guys and a girl joins, I'm going to make space for her. And I'm going to say, hey, Amanda, like, what do you think about this? To allow a space. So I, I, I don't think it's necessarily... I'm not setting out to tell women how to live their life because that is not my <laughs> place in the world or there's no one way to do it. Um, it's more these themes that I've experienced that I just want us all collectively to like rally against so we can raise each other up. And my, my new company is definitely centered around um, like that female community aspect and kind of banding together to raise everybody up. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that fully answered your question, but it was a long winded answer. <laughs> no, I, I, I wish, well, I'm glad that you took your time with it because it's, I, I joined a, an establishment, um, about two years ago. It's the reason why I moved to Nashville and it's kind of my first job ever. Um, I was brought in to build a digital marketing department for um, a, a, a big treatment center conglomerate. I know I told you I've, I've been in the recovery space for a while. Mm -hmm. And in my company, in Stadzi, you know, I was raised by a really young progressive family. My parents had me real young. Like my mom was a teenager raising me basically. And so I was just raised by strong women. And I never really put a whole lot of thought into it. Like maybe that sounds naive or something. I just didn't necessarily ever think of it. And in my company culture, um, it wasn't a big deal. Like the guys and, and, and all the women would, would all work together. It wasn't something that I felt like I needed to acknowledge. And uh, now at this, this bigger establishment, like I notice it more. Mm -hmm. And you feel it's this weird cross between feeling a little guilty, like I should be more cognizant of it, but then at the same time thinking like, is that necessarily my place? And it's, it's, it's tough to navigate. So I, I opened it that way intentionally for you, just kind of wondering like what lessons I could learn in that space to try to be um, more empathetic while at the same time, not, you know, not trying to be like, like uh, there's some, 
poor soul woman that like needs my help. Right. Like I'm, I'm going to save the day and I'm going to do this. Yeah, no, it's a great, I think that that's the struggle that many men deal with that they're, they don't want to, you know, do something for a woman because we know that we can do it ourselves, but that tension you're feeling or that guilt or that awareness, um, is a signal that it's not, we're not 50 50. It's not completely even the fact that you felt that shift from one company to another illustrates it. And the fact that, um, a lot of women that DM me talk about this with me. So, uh, I think acknowledging it and finding ways to just, um, make space. That's the best way I can say it is, um, you're not, doing anyone a favor you're making space for all voices to be heard whether that's you know a woman or you know like anyone it doesn't it's just making space to make sure that there's equal voices heard in any conversation because sadly all most industries i've experienced um are geared towards recognizing the alpha or the extrovert Um, and that's not always, uh, the like right way to think about recognition or advancement, but the loudest voices I've heard, um, a phrase strong, but wrong. Like if you say it's strong enough, it doesn't matter that you're wrong. (laughs) And that is so fucked up (laughs) part of my French, but, um, that's so messed up like that you can have the most rational uh, argument and that's logical and data tested, but the person in the room that's the loudest gets their way. What? That's, that's just not how business should work. But so I think just acknowledging it and making space to make sure that all voices are heard and considered is what everybody is going for. Yeah, I agree. And um, I wrote that down because I think that's just a very practical way to look at it. Like I'm not doing anybody any favors, whether, no matter what your life circumstance is, like if, if there's an opportunity for me to make space for another person or another idea or whatever, um, that, that applies in, in so many different ways. And so I, I think that that's a, good, a great lesson. Uh, man, well, we're, we're coming up to the end of this thing. Amanda, you were like really, really a, a pleasure to talk to. I, I'm always nervous when I, I have people on the podcast and I don't really have a whole lot of like prior dialogue with, but, um, <laughs> you know, but, but talking to you was like a real privilege. I, I think that, um, I think that men and women that listen to this podcast will, will look up to you as, as a really great example of like how to work hard and, and, and how to be your authentic self. So, so much appreciated. Oh my gosh, Tim, this is awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for continuing to share your story too. It means a lot. Will do. Um, I will have all of your links in the show notes. I, I'll save you um, the typical end podcast. Like, well, where can people find you? Uh, they, they can find all your stuff on the show notes of the podcast. Thanks again, Amanda. Um, we'll do this again. Keep in touch. Yes, definitely. Thanks, Tim. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. 
feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.